on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Weston Williams. All right. This week, pianist and vocal coach Irina Meacham and her baritone husband, Lucas, go inside the huddle with the three of us to preview their upcoming album, Shall We Gather, which comes out September 24. Plus, in the two-minute drill, can't we just keep the drama on the stage and out of the wings and out of the fly tower? (laughs) Yikes. If you're watching on TDO, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher. You can just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. Allegedly, you can even tell Alexa to play the podcast. <laughs> Allegedly. I don't know how it works, but apparently it works for someone. Weston, this worked for your family? Yeah, I mean, uh, we were trying to figure out if we wanted to get on uh, Amazon uh, Amazon Music. And uh, my parents informed me that they've been listening on their Alexa this whole time. And I'm like, how did you do that? And they are parents and they don't they have no idea so i don't know if they got a, a jailbroken alexa or what but we're we're on at least one <laughs> amazon service somewhere oliver camacho do you too have an alexa in your home i don't have one of those things um so i have to go the old-fashioned way where i, I turn on my uh, record player and then i um, <laughs> put on a record and uh, walk over to it and flip it over when it's time to um, hear the the cabaletta to the. Aria. It was and, it was such a big deal when Oliver finally made the switch from wax cylinders. We I'm had to actually, help him through it. I'm actually not even kidding. Like when I d- was very late to technology, I didn't have a computer of my own until after I graduated from college. Uh, wow. I'm not kidding about that. I used the um, Wi-Fi the computer cafes. Lab. Yeah, yeah, and the computer labs. Yeah. Um, but also, I used to carry around a CD player with me at the gym, like a like a disc man. And so I had these like basketball shorts that had this gigantic, you know, square <laughs> and pocket. And I used to have to put like a tape adapter into my car that like connected to the CD player. I didn't even have a CD drive in my car, so it's taken me a while. So now I'm finally up. I'm finally up to CDs now. I know there's technology after CDs, but I still got some CDs that I'm. This is a true story about me when I was in college and I couldn't afford headphones or an iPod. I would walk around on campus at night night listening to my music uh, by holding my laptop on my shoulder and blasting uh, Wagner at full volume directly into my right ear. And and I'm sure it's done no damage at all. Well, it took Oliver a while to embrace the technology. It took Justin Fields a couple games to get onto the field for the Bears, but the uh, second stringer now uh, starting for the Bears got them a win last Sunday. It's what the fans want. It's what the coach wanted, uh, and it's a, it's a good move. So hopefully we've got some wins coming our way for the Bears. we got some great stuff on the show this week. Let's get out of the way. Let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Irina Meacham is a first-generation Romanian-American pianist who regularly accompanies voice recitals and coaches opera singers. She has worked at Palm Beach Opera, Sarasota Opera, Opera Birmingham, Amarillo Opera, Nashville, Shreveport, Chicago Summer Opera, Opera in the Ozarks, the Banff Center. She's the co-founder of the Perfect Day Music Foundation, 
a not-for-profit we will talk about in the interview. And she is married to a baritone named Lucas. Uh, you might have heard of him. His name is Lucas Meacham. We'll meet him, too, in this interview. <laughs> uh, Lucas and Irina have their first album together, which comes out later this week. Probably by the time you hear this podcast, this album will be available. It's called Shall We Gather? And let us enjoy a little music from Shall We Gather before we join Lucas and Irina. The rich man has his motor car, his country and his town estate. He smokes a 50 cent cigar and jeers at He frivels through the live-long day. He knows not poverty, a pinch. His love seems light, his heart seems gay. He has a cinch. The Rich Man, a song by Richard Hageman with text by Franklin Pierce Adams, performed by our guests, Irina Meacham and her husband, Lucas, who's a baritone. Welcome to Opera Box Score. Thank you so much for being on the show. I know that you are always so busy. I just saw you like a minute ago uh, in Santa Fe singing Eugene Onegin. And you are right now in Greensboro, North Carolina, because in a couple of days is your album release concert. And we'll talk about that album in a minute. But it's so nice to have you on Opera Box Score. Thank you Thanks so for much having for us. having us. Yeah, I was at L.A. Opera days before this rehearsing for Tannhäuser that's coming off. So I'm now in the middle of a break from that. So are you singing Wolfram? Yes, I is this am. your first, or have you done this before? I've done it a few times. So oh, it's, wow, it's a uh, it's nice to be able to revisit this because it's not an opera that's done that often. Well. Um, you are obviously a married couple. I don't know who took whose name, but let's just assume that you're uh, maybe Irina. You used to have another name because you're Romanian, is my understanding. And Meacham doesn't sound very Romanian, but that's okay. Um, can you talk to us about sort of the logistics of being a baritone and pianist couple? Um, you know, how do you decide to like pick contracts, whose contract wins? And I also understand that you have a two-year-old and we would love to hear a little bit about uh, how you negotiate having a child uh, with all the jobs you guys are doing. Well, I get mornings. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, he needs to sleep. Um, his body is his instrument. And as a parent, it's extremely physically exhausting to throw yourself into raising a child. Um, so he needs to sleep to do his job well. Um, I can perform with a sore throat. So there's a big difference between the two of us in terms of what we put into parenting and what we put into our jobs. So I get the mornings and then he steps in and is there. Um, he's just so involved for and present when he can be. And I think that's a, a really big thing he can do as a parent. And I admire him for that. But um, in terms of traveling, there's just a lot and it's really complicated and there's no one way to do it. And there's no secret. We just uh, we just do what feels right, and we've made a lot of um, a lot of good choices. And I think the best one is doing what's best for our son because if he's happy, we're happy. 
Yeah, I just have to say, I, I would recommend to any baritone out there to marry a, a beautiful Romanian uh, collaborative pianist. <laughs> it's wonderful. You know, if you can find a few, they're a dime a dozen, really. But, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's the best thing, having my own quality control at every gig that I do. Irina is in the house saying, ah, can't hear you on this. Oh, that vowel's a little closed. Oh, what are you doing with your hands in this moment? You know, so it's, it's really just amazing quality control. I'd say my performances are at least 10 to 15% better every time she's there to give me notes. Thanks. Yeah. So and, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, a, a couple of, actually last year at this point, um, our colleague Ashley Hardgrave, uh, did a series on uh, motherhood, uh, and you know, have and being in the opera business, uh, we interviewed administrators, conductors, singers. Uh, do you have a story about, um, you know, being pregnant and working and getting back on the career after having your kid, and and what type of support system? Obviously, you have each other, but you know, did you have to call in the troops? You know, the the parents or. Did you do a nanny thing? And we've, we've heard all sorts of stories and everybody's story is unique. And so I just think it's great for uh, the audience to hear what the possibilities are, especially when there are two musicians in the, in the family. I think the, the pregnancy, the most difficult thing about the pregnancy that was unique to being a traveling musician was that every month I had to have a doctor's appointment. And since we are self-employed, our health insurance only worked in the state that we live in. So every month I would have to fly home no matter where I was or else I would have an astronomical health bill. And that was really hard. That was something I didn't expect. And um, we tried to time the birth with his schedule, which I don't know how it worked out, how it did. <laughs> he did have to cancel uh, a gig in Germany, but um, he got a last minute call. So he had, um, he was planning to be with me three weeks before the baby was due. Then he got a last minute call to sing in Bilbao, um, uh, Pearl Fishers. And I was like, you have to go do this. This is really important. And he would come back one week before the baby was due. The due date. Ooh. And we were stressed out the entire yeah. time. I was he looking had... at flying to bed. It took me approximately five, 15 hours and 38 minutes of all those plan to get yeah. from Bilbao to yeah. the hospital, you yeah. know? So I stayed home. And the day after he arrived, my water broke. So oh, it, uh. it, it worked out. And I was yeah. like, oh, we can't have a second because it went so flawlessly with the first <laughs> She was in labor for 50 minutes, five zero. So yeah. was, that's wow. efficient. Very, yeah. very you, good, you know. Do you guys want to shout out any companies that were particularly helpful in terms of, you know, childcare or just like being very forgiving with the oh. schedule? Uh, because we'd love to support those companies that really understand, of you know, course. the job of parents, you know? Well, Washington National Opera was a big one as far as, uh, you know, just when we first found out we were pregnant, we did have to go. And and I'm something I'm incredibly proud of as a father. I, I consider myself a very, uh, uh, like, in-your-face father. I'm, I just like to be in all the things that happen. I was able to be at every single uh, appointment that she had uh, before the birth because I would just, we'd all fly back and do the appointment and I fly back to the gig, you know, and we all fly back together, so... That's something I'm really proud of. Yeah. Yeah. There what was the a companies? Dallas Opera, Dallas. Canadian Opera. Ooh, Company. We've heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Dallas uh, Opera, who? And <laughs> Opera and Canadian, uh, yeah, I said Canadian, the Metropolitan Opera. They were very understanding. And, um, and now I think um, going into it, it's somehow more difficult because, yeah, we have days where our son is sick and Lucas needs 
to be there for certain appointments. Um, and he's, they've all been so understanding. I also think maybe it's different between a man and a woman being a parent in the mm. industry, because I think it's somehow glorified when a man steps in and is so, so, so present. And I've just heard other women who experienced this. I haven't had any of this. I've had a little bit, I have to be honest, of, of just that, that less understanding mm -hmm. from the point of a woman. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And from one parent to another, you know, parenting is organization. And frankly, good art making is also by and large organization. Something that I know nothing about is social media. I am on no social media at all, which is why I'm the guy to ask this question. So Lucas, how has your action or activity on social media how has that developed? Is there a brand identity in mind for you? How do you decide what to post and how often? What can I learn from you, sir, about this new <laughs> Please thing? help us. George doesn't know anything about social media. <laughs> so it takes years to develop a social media platform that that is, I guess, of some repute. Uh, and it's taken years for us here because it's been, uh, it's, it's just a difficult, it's a difficult thing to get a grasp of. But the most important thing is that I pay attention to my audience. They're the ones that want to see and hear what I have to say. And so I have to find the balance between saying what I say, giving my message to the public and also listening to the message they want to hear. So finding the balance I, I, is kind of honestly, if I'm, if I'm being really 100% honest, it's difficult to find because I find that sometimes I, I, I lean a little more towards instructor than artist soloist. And so because I, I get so many questions from people and I answer every question. You'll see if you if you send me a question on Instagram or a message, I respond with a voice memo to you. Mm -hmm. I say, well, uh, what, should, what can I do to help my high notes? I'm like, well, that's what you need to do and, and good luck, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm very hands on that way. And I think. The most important thing you can do in social media is never be fake. If people can sniff that out in a heartbeat, you used to be able to be fake. You used to be able to be real fake. You know, all the face tune, all the poses, all the duck lips you wanted. And now people are moving away from that. So it's a, it's a real different yeah, world. That, that's your problem, George. You keep using too, many, too much duck lips in all of your Instagram photos. That's why you're having trouble. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. You can't even see it under the mustache. That's the, that's the least of my worries. So <laughs> I, brand identity, that is for you, authenticity. authenticity. Authenticity, yeah. And I think striking the balance between informing and entertaining. Every post has either an informational aspect to it or it's pure entertainment. The self-promotional posts are probably the hardest for us to curate. Absolutely. Um, we because, don't really do much of it, actually. And, and when we do, we consider ourselves sharing the journey towards success, not of success. I think there's a really big difference with that. Your followers change. They evolve. So should your social media. Paying attention to what, what they react to. Um, TikTok is a whole thing that uh, we've tapped into a little bit, uh, but it's 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 delicate because he's a performer. He's not an instructor. He's not a, a, a YouTube influencer, but he tries to maintain those presences because it helps people. Um, so you need to put yourself in the shoes of the follower. Um, for you um, being a director, there's all this behind the scenes stuff that happens that we don't know about. And uh, we want to know what your process is. I think the process is sometimes the most important, interesting part of sharing your story. 
Yeah, you can get so deep into what you do that you can't see the forest for the trees in a way. You know, it's like we all know the minutia of being an opera singer. But the layman or the person that just is interested in opera wants to hear about, you know, what did you have for lunch? Did you were you able to eat lunch? How was your rehearsal? And it's like, <laughs> I, oh, my high G was really good. And I got in a fight with a conductor or, you know, whatever. But it's like they don't care about that. And yeah. for and for performing artists, sometimes when I come across a new a singer on Instagram, and, and I I don't see videos of themselves performing, um, it's also mm. important to post your art, put put yourself out there, even if it isn't perfect. I think that that's just how you build the confidence and the understanding of what else to put next. Yeah. Well, in, in addition to the you know the daily posts of like you know just organic stuff that your followers you know like to look at you've also done some you know blog posts that have been very you know meaningful and galvanizing to the singer community as well as like some highly produced videos i remember you did like an acapella thing i forget what it was but it was like two years ago that we talked about because it was so fun i forgot what song you sang but it was awesome <laughs> you were like doing four-part harmony with yourself or something like that i mean that stuff takes time i mean can you talk to us about that? Like how, how much time do you like just put in your schedule? Like, you know what, this is important. I got to set aside three hours to make this, to write this blog post, you know? Blog posts, we, um, he, it's all hit Lucas's content. We started mm -hmm. that because he was, um, he was not uh, having the platform that was, that was, we, we wanted to diversify his platforms. So that was a chance for him to get his thoughts down to, to reach people when they have questions, he'll just send them a blog post. Um, so that was, that was every other week, every other weekend we spend hours. I edit what he puts down. He speaks a lot and we work at it together. And then we have an editor who edits all of the stuff that we put. Oh. We choose involved, the photos together. Yeah. Um, we have um, website website engineers who keep up the web page. It's it's so so much. Every day we do work for his social media. Yeah, and the reason that even came about with the blog posts is that I was getting the same three questions every time I did an interview, and I thought I really want to talk about more than this. How can I talk about it? All right, I'll make my own thing, and that's what happened. And and since then, it has become sort of about giving back to the community because i had so much help i i i grew up in rural north carolina and um i mean we didn't want for much but we didn't have much either you know i don't want to say we were poor but you know we we didn't you know it was it was it was a, a wonderful childhood and i'll say that but <laughs> Uh, and so I also realized that so many people helped me along the way that it just feels natural for me to try and help any way I can uh, uh, to give back, really. Well, speaking of giving back uh, and social media, it comes together in the Perfect Day competition. Irina, can you tell us about this and tell the audience about what this is? Well, social media also has the power to create change and there was a time where we really needed a change to happen in the classical music scene and lucas and i wanted to draw from our experience from curating this album of american art songs and we wanted to do something that was not sure on this shiny night and we had to really push ourselves to to explore repertoire that has been historically overlooked and it was hard it was not as easy as doing the standards and we enjoyed the challenge because it was such a learning experience we realized there was so much that we had to do and we have degrees in music and it wasn't enough so we wanted to invite other singers to be part of the same journey 
And we said, why don't you uh, post yourself singing a song, it, no application fee. And um, the only requirement is that it's a song uh, or with text by a person of African descent. And let's get this music learned. Let's get it performed and let's get it heard. And we thought social media would be the tool for that. We awarded two finalists cash prizes. So we're also getting to know the younger generation. Yeah, and We had uh, four all-star judges, all judges who they got to sing for. So, you know, I mean, people have gotten jobs for this as well. So, and then and our notoriety. Yes, yeah. And our second session will be female composers. And we're so excited for that to happen too. Um, and it's just our small part in making some kind of difference in the classical music scene. We're not here to solve all of the yeah. problems, but this was just... <laughs> idea that we could offer and hopefully inspire. Well, along those same lines, I want to read a little bit of your uh, uh, the press release for your upcoming album, which comes out on the 24th, I believe, uh, which is in a couple days when we're recording. I think by the time uh, it comes out, it'll be like a, a day or two away. Um, but uh, I wanted to read this just this part. By channeling the feelings of those gatherings we are missing, we can perhaps conjure, uh, conjure a greater sense of togetherness, of commonality. Shall we gather is an emotional and heartfelt plea for a better, more tolerant world, a world that one hopes will emerge a better place after the trauma of the pandemic. And, you know, very on brand, brand for us, but please say more about that. What are you, what are you trying to accomplish with this album? What 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 reflects uh, what what how does this album reflect your uh, ideals as artists as people you know? Thank you. Yes. Um, so we recorded this in January 2020, and mm -hmm. we use our platforms to say something more than just we make pretty music. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a and good this, opera singer, this was... and I this is what I do. And... <laughs> This was before COVID hit, right before, and um, we felt that there was a divide in the country, and we wanted just to to inspire a coming together. Yeah, and, and this is again January is twenty twenty, yes. so we didn't we didn't. The think timing is impeccable, really. <laughs> of course, George Floyd after that COVID, and, yeah. and it's yeah. just gotten There's more even, and more, even more of a divide, and now we feel less connected. Um, than ever before. And so we wanted to name the album Shall We Gather because it's a statement yet a question. What connects us? What divides us? What makes us who we are? And how can we come together on all of these things? And if you take a look at the album art, it, um, Lucas and I are six feet apart in a dark theater. And that was sort of the impact that the arts have on us, but also just on um, the togetherness that we, we want to, uh, to inspire through music. Music has so much possibilities and power. This was our, our hope. So hopefully uh, the music represents that. Uh, Lucas, it is great to meet you for the first time. Arena, this is something of a reunion for us. 10 years ago, we were at the same summer festival together working on a double bill of uh, Puccini and Michael Ching. So the OBS, here we are. Uh, opera content in a sports talk radio format for both of you what sports did you play in your youth or do you play now what sports teams are you following this season well i played um basketball baseball and football growing up uh when i was ah, the trifecta okay <laughs> um yeah i i didn't play football for long <laughs> but uh uh that was more, I, I just did, okay, basketball and baseball, I played since I was really young. And then I stepped into football sort of because I was the biggest guy in my class. Mm. 
rural North Carolina again. So I wasn't huge, but I was the biggest guy in my class. And uh, I just didn't get it. They said the coaches would tell me what to do and where to go. And I was like, huh, I can throw and catch a ball. I just don't know what these little symbols mean. These X's. <laughs> so wait a second. Someone telling you what to do and where to go didn't translate to an yeah. opera stage? <laughs> yeah. I that later in life. <laughs> That's very good. Very good. good. But um, anyway, I even actually, I even played on my high school golf team because I grew up <laughs> near Pine Ridge, North Carolina. And the way it even worked out is they needed six people to field a team in high school and they only had five and I happened to not be playing a sport and during that time. And they're like, Lucas, will you play? I was like, I'm not going to practice. I'm not going to show up to any practice. I'm only going to show up to the matches and yeah, I'll be your six guys. As long as you're cool with that. Once I'm, again, this is sounding exactly like opera. This is sounding <laughs> like, all right, I'll show up and I'll show up a week late. No, you know, <laughs> And uh, actually, you know, I was really good at soccer. I was uh, um, the, the, the uh, what is it called? captain of my team, the goalie. Yeah, I was a goalie. Uh, I was all-conference sure really goalie. Good. I was really good. I got offered scholarships to go uh, be a goalie, actually, because I had really quick feet because I played so much basketball. Where were you offered a scholarship? At uh, Lenore Ryan University. So, you oh. know, big time. Wow. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the better way to phrase this question was, did you ever have any sports that you didn't do in your youth? <laughs> Actually, I played a lot of tennis and I uh, got really into pink. <laughs> I just thought I'd take it even further. And uh, so if there are any sports that I watch these days, I do like college basketball. Yeah. I like professional football. Yeah. But I find as soon as I start to get to in, into one of these sports for one year, the next year for the same time or in the middle of that time period, I find myself in Europe. And all of a sudden I'm watching lawn bowling and snooker in the UK. You know? So it's like... It, it's it, it's crazy. It's just because of my travel schedule, I find that I can't dedicate myself to sports as much as I may like to. But whenever I'm in the U.S. in March, I love me some March Madness. Yeah, true North Carolina roots showing there. <laughs> Arena, did, did you play sports as a child or do you play sports now? I played tennis and I loved it, but I had to stop and I couldn't play any uh, uh, sports with rackets or basketball or anything because I was so worried about my hands. Yeah. And I did injure my hands a few times and I couldn't play for a month and my mom got really mad at me. So I couldn't do that anymore. But I still watch tennis and Serena Williams is everything. I think she's Thank like you. one of the best athletes. Amen. Shall We Gather is the album. It comes out September 24th from the Rubicon Classics label. You can stream it, but why not buy it? I understand some of the proceeds are going to charity. Do you do you remember which is am I true? Is that true? Did I get that right? <laughs> no. Everybody is going back into the foundation so we can continue the good works. It will go to the competition and go to young sing aspiring singers, uh, young professionals, and um, at the collegiate level as well. Wonderful. Well, we'll close uh, going back to the album, uh, a song that everybody knows uh, that inspired the album title uh, At the River, music by Aaron Copeland. Oh. Uh -huh. 
So great to have Arena and Lucas on the show. It's been a long time coming. Here's your hashtag opera on the ball update in case you've forgotten OBS fans. Tobias Wright and I are in the Opera Philadelphia Fantasy Football League. Lost the first week of the season. But no. I to <laughs> that was against general manager David Devan, who was last season's winner. I wrote to Tobias earlier today to say, buddy, look, update me. How is it looking? He says, quote, we lost last week in a tight one. And this week we're going to go down in another tight one. We honestly should have won this week. But I set the roster on Friday before my brother's wedding. And then our starting running back got scratched from playing prior to the game. And I didn't have access to change it. So we got a zero in that. And we're going to lose by seven points. Excuses. All of this to say, we have a decent roster. And we we should hit our stride soon and and get going on a good winning streak. And you wonder why we kicked you off the show, Tobias. Two-minute drill. It's right now. This just in. The two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Meacham land this week. In 2015, tenor Robert Dean Smith was lying on stage during a production of Tristan and Isolde, pretending to be dead when he felt something very close above him. When he opened his eyes, he saw a 467-pound fake rock hanging just inches from his face. Last week, a court in Toulouse found a stagehand at the theater guilty of tampering with the computer that controlled the prop, apparently attempting to frame a rival stagehand. Sarasota, Florida arts organizations, including Sarasota Opera, have announced new indoor safety measures ahead of the fall season. Per a press release, quote, an increasing number of patrons and artists are extremely uncomfortable participating without strong health and safety protocols in place. Leaders have been sharing experiences and research from their March 2021 initiative hashtag SafeArtsSarasota which helped enable local arts organizations to safely reopen to audiences after being shuttered through the pandemic. The Met has announced that Anthony Davis's X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X, which premiered in its full version at New York City Opera in 1986, will come to the Met in fall of 2023. The production, which starts at the uh, at the Michigan Opera Theater in May, stars friend of the show, baritone Will Liverman, who is singing the lead role in Fire Shut Up In My Bones. Kazim Abdullah will conduct. Bass baritone and classic FM presenter Alexander Armstrong is challenging himself to sing 24 concerts in 24 hours, all to raise <laughs> money for charity, the charity called Global's Make Some Noise. Powered by sheer determination, Armstrong will push himself to the limits, both physically and vocally, <laughs> when he performs at a variety of locations across London and the South during this 24-hour marathon, which starts Thursday, September 30th at noon. I want to go to the 23-hour episode. <laughs> Deborah Lou Harder, the popular WRTI-FM classical personality is leaving Temple University's radio station to become only the fifth host in the history of the Met Radio broadcasts. She replaces Mary Jo Heath, who retired at the end of last season. Jose Carreras bade farewell to the Vienna State Opera, where he performed 140 times in such roles as Rodolfo, Don Carlo, Cala, Don Jose, Werther, and Alfredo. Last week's gala concert, which will be broadcast on October 3rd, also featured Elena Garancha and Lorenzo Babaj. Carreras donated his fee for the evening to the Cape 10 Charitable Foundation. 
Latvian soprano Marina Rebecca has received the Toti Dal Monte Career Prize. The jury said Rebecca has, quote, a beautiful voice, rich in harmony, solid high notes and coloratura, and a varied repertoire that spans bel canto to Verdi and Puccini. Mmm, Del Monte fruit. In a shift from last week, children welcome at the opera in Colorado. Kind of. Opera Colorado will hold auditions for their winter production of Paul Moravec and Mark Campbell's opera version of The Shining. Looking for children ages 12 and up for the roles of Danny Torrance and the Grady Twins? Hmm, 12 and above. That's a handy cutoff. In trade news, <laughs> Munich's <laughs> Staatstheater am Gärtnerplatz appoints friend of the show Ruben Dubrovsky as chief conductor. The Vienna-based conductor was born in Buenos Aires into a family of Polish and Italian artists. He is the artistic director and founder of the Bach Concert Wien and also the artistic director of Chicago's very own Third Coast Baroque. And Kevin Bilsma and James Norman have been appointed as co-artistic directors of Toledo Opera. On the disabled list, Jonas Kaufmann has canceled the first performance of Verdi's La Forza del Destino at the Bayerische Staatsoper due to a tracheal infection. He'll be replaced by Stefano Lacola. And soprano Eleonora Borato has canceled all her October engagements due to a, quote, small health issue. Exit stage right, Hilden Baron Tone. Norman Bailey died last week at 88. He was one of the most successful opera and concert singers from Britain in the 20th century. And on this day, September 20th, in 1769, it was the first performance of André Gretry's Le Tableau Parlant in Paris. In 1779, Georg Benda's Pygmalion premiered in Gotha, which I believe was from the Kingdom of Bohemia. And in 1799, Benda's Filon und Teone, also known as Almansor and Nadine, come on, uh, also premiered in Gotha. It was a great day for Gotha. Love to hear it. In 1839, it was the first performance of Albert Lortzing's Karamo, Oder der Fischerstechen in Leipzig, not to be confused with Karamo from Queer Eye. In 1880, <laughs> Uh, it was the birth of Italian composer Ildebrando Pizzetti in Parma. In 1885, Canadian contralto Eva Gautier was born. She originally performed as a contralto, but expanded her range to include the soprano and even coloratura registers, but was known primarily as a mezzo. In 1897, Victor Herbert's The Idol's Eye, an operetta, premiered in Troy, New York. In 1917, it was the birth of administrator Goran Gentile, or Gentili, the general manager of the Metropolitan Opera, who served a whopping 18 days. In <laughs> 1955, it was the American debut of Elizabeth Schwarzkopf in San Francisco in her signature role of the Marshallin. And in 1975, one for Weston, the first performance of Jack Beeson's opera, Captain Jinx on the Horse of the Horse Marines in Kansas City, Missouri. And that is your two-minute drill.
us a little bit of Norman Bailey singing Die Frist ist um from the Flying Dutchman with an absolute Chicago, bop. <laughs> with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra <laughs> conducted by George Schulte. Such a fantastic opera. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Radio. You can even just favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. There was quite a bit of backstory we had to lay out on the uh, first item in the drill, this strange case from 2015, right? Six years old now. And finally, this court in Toulouse has found this stagehand guilty of tampering with stage machinery, which is extremely dangerous. Oh, That almost killed Robert Dean Smith. And this was all done to frame a rival stagehand. I I think the biggest plot twist is that it wasn't like murder. It was just like, well... I'm going to make this thing happen to make my coworker over here get in trouble. And if he dies, he dies. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is not a coworker you want to work with uh, on an uh, uh, on an opera stage. Let me tell you, that place is dangerous enough. I mean, you you look at like any book about like things going wrong in operas and it's, it's a wonder that anything goes off correctly. There's swords flying into orchestra pits. There's people falling off of things. There's legs broken. And that's when everything is going right. That's when the safety <laughs> is being observed. This is the, this is a wild story to me. And I would love to know more about what happened. It's going to be season five of Fargo. I cannot wait. It's going to be the central story. <laughs> this this was the, the uh, Nicolas Joel production. And what I found truly strange was that apparently the rock was only supposed to stop 30 inches above the tenor. Don't worry about that. Like, That's fine. People, don't be dropping rocks on other people on this stage. I don't care how good you are. That's I do admire crazy. the professionalism of the Isolde who just kept singing while he leapt away from the rock to save his life. <laughs> he and like, he like rolled away and like stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is... <laughs> More, more that, more that love potion. Oh goodness! The, the Sarasota Arts Organizations, you know, putting together the press release, an increasing number of patrons and artists are extremely uncomfortable participating without strong health and safety protocols in place. So, in other news, bear defecates in woods. It's <laughs> it's like so obvious. What I found out is that the boneheaded governor of Florida was in my class at Yale. <laughs> I just thought that was the strangest thing. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason why we're talking about this story is because it is Florida. And um, I think there are more people who are against safety protocols than there are for. So Sarasota is taking a stand against its own audience there. And, then, and that's a thing that I feel like uh, is something we're going to be having have to see in the arts uh, coming uh, over the next few months. Um and you already see it in some places where, you know, in my home state of Alabama, which is currently, I believe, worse in the country for vaccinations, um, there is still questions about whether or not to open because they don't know if they can financially justify it. They don't know if they can morally justify it. They don't know how to draw those lines in the sand, especially in a state like Alabama, which has literally made it uh, illegal to require uh, proof of vaccination to attend a concert or whatever. Um and uh, l- let me tell you to all of uh, all of you who may be listening from states that are not, uh, you know, uh, uh, going for these kinds of restrictions, things are looking pretty good here. I mean, we recently had over this weekend had operas opening, people were being safe, wearing masks, required vaccines, and things feel like 
there's some semblance of norm of normalcy happening. And this is what you need to be pressing to happen in those states where that's not allowed. And I really feel for you all as a former Alabamian myself. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. We talked about it on the show last week, all these openings. And, and I didn't get to be Debbie Downer last week and to say, look, it, it's all <laughs> going to end in tears. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't think it's going to work out. I think we have some real problems, even in states that are uh, creating protocols to the letter. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's smoke and mirrors and that I think this fall is we're going to we're going to find out the hard way is that um, a, a lot of these venues were just we're just not ready for this yet. And that's tough. That's tough on audiences. That's tough on artists who this is their livelihood. I get that. But I, I don't see this ending well. I just want to say, just on this topic, I went to the Met, um, to the Met, to Lyric Opera to see uh, <laughs> the opening night of Macbeth, and the um, the lobby was decorated so beautifully. I've never seen that space look so more gorgeous. Um, and as far as the new seats go, I honestly did not notice the difference. I'm sure if I sat next, sat in them side <laughs> by side, like, oh yeah, this is more comfortable, this is more spacious, but. Um, I can't say it was like a huge noticeable <laughs> difference, but maybe something like West. I have short legs. I barely have legs, actually. Uh, maybe something like West would notice a difference more. Um, I didn't notice that they had spaced us out. I felt like where I was sitting, I had a lot of people sitting around me. I mean, there were empty seats, uh, but it wasn't like, you know, three feet distance or anything like that from everybody. So Yeah, well, and was it worth it, right? Because what we all need is another David McVicker production. That sounds exciting. <laughs> now here's what is exciting is michigan opera theater can do no wrong it seems yes i i know i was harsh on the yuval sharon production of goethe demerung in a parking lot in cars i i, I thought that was was gimmicky and I, I stand by that but wow bringing up anthony davis piece x the life and times of malcolm x starts at mot in May of 2022, goes to the Met in the fall of 2023. Yeah. I think we will have sorted out uh, audiences by the, that point, uh, by the way. I certainly um, hope so by then. Uh, I also want, want will, to point will out Liverman, that... Will um, Liverman playing the title role there, too. Incredible. Yeah. I want to, I want to point out that um, uh, the Malcolm X opera will be the second uh, by, by a black composer uh, at the Metropolitan Opera, which, you know, is progress. And I, I am glad to see that that it's not just a one season thing. I, I just want to make sure it's not just a two season thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Peter Gelb said, quote, we're committed to presenting the works of influential black composers. It's high time that the work of Anthony Davis be heard and seen on the stage of the Met. That's Second true. sentence, absolutely true. First sentence, hmm. <laughs> is the Met committed to presenting the works of influential black composers? I hope so. I mean, this is this is the test, right? Uh, I feel like uh, Fire Shut Up in My Bones has been riding a bit of a wave uh, as a new opera. Um, this is uh, I mean, obviously 1986 is not that far away in opera terms, but it's it's been around for a little while. It has a little bit more. It, it's not as current. And I think I feel like it's the a more cautious uh, choice than perhaps they could make for um, uh, an opera by a black composer. But I think it is certainly something that should be at the Met. Uh, and it's, uh, and Sorry, I hope you're it calling back... the Anthony Davis uh, choice. You're calling that cautious. 
Well, just because it's it's been around, they know what it is. They, it's tested. It's yeah, been it's done. Yeah, it's you know been what done I mean? Once. Yeah, it's yeah. been done once since yeah, 1986. It's done I think it's been done a couple times, hasn't it? Or was it, it was it really just the one time? I it know pre- there was a recording with the Lyric Opera, which I believe was the premiere recording. I want to say it's been done a couple times. I could be wrong on that. So speaking uh, of the Met, um, we are breaking news here. If you're hearing this for the first time, this is a brand new story. Uh, that Deborah Lou, what's her name? Deborah Lou Harder uh, has been named the next host of the Metropolitan Opera radio broadcast, the Saturday broadcast. She comes from Philadelphia. I don't know anything about her, but by looking at her picture, I think she might be Asian, um, which is great. Uh, she, Mary Jo Heath uh, retired at the end of last season, and Mary Jo Heath, if you remember, replaced Margaret Juntwaith, who tragically died. Um, and so she is only the fifth uh, announcer for the Met broadcast. And honestly, had I known that they were looking and didn't have somebody in the bag, I would have applied. I'm not even kidding you. Uh, I think that's like a dream job for me. But um, that'd be we'll phenomenal. Have, we'll just have to wait. I'm sure that they have. So I mean, they have. You have to go to all the rehearsals and listen for timings and know how long your breaks are and write little scripts like that. Maybe they have writers. I don't know, but it seems like a super stressful job. But I would love. I would love. I mean, everything that, so. at the Met is stressful. Like <laughs> being on the custodial staff at the Met is stressful. <laughs> I've, been, I've been in the house as like an assistant to the director, and in one of the lowest think, positions on the totem pole. I think that's a drink cue. Um, and and other um, radio news um we do report on all the stories in opera radio land this guy um what's his name aren't andrew armstrong <laughs> is that his name um I this is not a, looking well for your alexander for alexander man, armstrong saying. yeah yeah uh so apparently he's just like me he is a radio personality at classic fm in london <laughs> and also a singer and uh, there's some really funny pictures of him. Maybe if we we can share this picture, um, he's going to be going around London and singing 24 concerts for charity. Um, good on him. <laughs> good. I mean, that's great. It's going to get it's going to get rough unless he's singing like row, row, row your boat every time. Even yeah. then, our hours 21 through 24, I think, will be <laughs> interesting to see just from like a the the sisyphean like task i want to be in the concert for every single he's uh, gonna uh, sing the pagliacci prologue each time (laughs) (laughs) and then then he collapses dead at the end and says the comedy is charming 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 Jose Carreras bidding farewell to the Vienna Yeah, State it's not clear opera. if this is like the farewell concert or if it's like a farewell tour. Hasn't he had like six farewell concerts already? Uh, I, I mean, I, I have to do more research on that. <laughs> so he's basically like Guns N' Roses. Is that what you're saying? Or Cher. <laughs> no. He needs yeah. to star in his own Mamma Mia. <laughs> well, he needs Here to go, go to Vegas. Three. <laughs> he, he needs to Celine Dion this and he needs to go to Vegas yeah. and just sit down in Vegas. Oh, yeah. God. I, well, he's, I, the, he's the only... Of the three tenors that we can still enjoy, you know? Ouch. <laughs> That's true. Ouch. Um, quickly about Marina Rebecca. I have a friend who is like a total Marina Rebecca stan and is trying to get me on board. I'm solely coming over to her side. So maybe the Tote Del Monte career prize, which I never knew even existed. Maybe that will push one in her column. Um, I think she's a great technician. Uh, I think that her Rossini is dazzling. Uh, I was just surprised that like, I only knew about her for a couple of years and she's already singing Norma. I feel like singing Norma wow. is like something you don't get to do when your people don't know your name yet, you know, no, legally. No. Yeah. 
but uh, no, I mean, but it's but it's a great instrument. I have to say that. Um, very uh, edgy and very in tune, and a great coloratura technique. I'm not sure if it's the voice I want to hear singing Puccini, but apparently that's part of the Todi Del Monte qualifications criteria because she sings everything from bel canto to verdi to puccini <laughs> everything from italian to italian <laughs> yes, exactly. uh before i do a couple quick hits on on this day is there anything else you guys want to talk about well um ruben, du- ruben dubrovsky is friend of the show so yeah. congratulations to him on getting that position at gertner plots which apparently You've been to, so it's another drinking cue for us. So. It's it's a delightful house. <laughs> I've I've observed some rehearsals there. I I, I okay. can't say any more than that. But it's totally quirky, and it's just such a great antidote to the main. Bavarian was that it's your last German trip house. when we were doing OBS in twenty sixteen? Uh, I think abroad. it was actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice nice memory on that. That same trip, I observed some rehearsals for um, in Meiningen, of all places, on a production of Lortzing's Regina. That's another drink. <laughs> Let me tell you, Lortzing. <laughs> nobody does Lortzing outside of Germany, and for good reason. I'm also annoyed that Victor Herbert has been in, on this day for like the last month. Can't Victor mm. Herbert just go away? No, we just have to remember <laughs> that that's a whole genre that... Who's going to preserve that? I mean, like in France, for example, they have these companies now that are really trying to, uh, you know, big up the French operetta era. Oui. Uh, what American companies are really preserving the, 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 you know, the history of American operetta, you know? That's a fair point. Ohio Light Opera, do they still exist? I don't even know, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a fair point. Chicago Folks Operetta, but they don't work in the American genre. They don't do yeah, they do German, so. Feels like yeah. this might be a time for me to revisit Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh no, <laughs> Oliver, what have you done? Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. I'll I'll save you the trauma of having to listen to me talk about the gondoliers. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Unleash the beast. Oh my gosh, it's been a fantastic hour. Oliver Camacho, do you have a good call or a bad call? I want to just congratulate Jamie Barton um, for making her role debut as Carmen in Chicago Opera Theater this last weekend. It was everything you thought it would be. Mm. Uh, I went to hear her talk the day after I saw Carmen she did a uh, conversation with William Berger of the Met Opera. Um, and she said to the audience there, you know, I've been wanting to sing Carmen for a long time, but they always tell me I'm the wrong size. And if for those people that were at Chicago Opera Theater this past weekend, I think a lot of those people were first time opera goers. Mm-hmm. A lot of those people had heard Carmen for the first time that day. And the audience went ape poop wild they were so excited and she sounded like a million bucks and if jamie barton doesn't start getting a bunch of carmens on her schedule the opera world is missing out on a huge opportunity right now yeah history history made i think probably here in in chicago weston williams uh i have been absolutely obsessed this past week with listening to the new uh lea desandre album i'm not sure how to pronounce her name because it's right. both yeah. french and italian so uh lea desandre she's uh the new album is called amazon amazon amazone uh one of the two it's amazon with an e for you americans out there like me <laughs> uh it is 
fantastic. It's with the Jupiter Ensemble. She gets uh, my husband Tomad Yeah, yeah. It's got a. Uh, um, it's got. It's. Uh, um, uh, uh, it, it's truly an amazing album. If you've never heard her sing before, she's got just this absolute intensity and like incredible precision. But like everything is completely emotionally grounded as she's going. She sings these crazy college she's runs. She's a savage singer. She's and you don't, amazing. You don't, you don't normally get savage singers in early music, so it's, yeah. she's a very exciting artist. Yes, and it's all based on like these sort of like Amazon-related operas and Baroque era pieces where she gets to really bring out the the war hammers, and it's 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 an absolutely phenomenal album. I've been listening to it on repeat all week. Go check it out. I have a bad call. Anna Netrebko turned 50 <laughs> earlier this week and decided to throw a birthday party for herself, which was a concert. Oh, Crazy yeah. names here. I'm not even sure if she was singing or not. Domingo, Viazon, Bartoli, Ev Vazov. The list goes on and on. This was at the State Kremlin Palace. Putin, perhaps, in the mix there. Gergiv, <laughs> too. Let's just put all the bad guys in one place. You know what? Here's, here's a pro tip. Just like... Just take your kid to Chuck E. Cheese, honestly, or just like <laughs> just like have a, some some wine at home and like Netflix and chill. You so you don't want Matthew, me, and Ashley to, to sing at your fiftieth birthday party? That would be my nightmare. <laughs> How about me, George? Can I sing at your birthday party? That's it for this week's edition of America's <laughs> talk radio show about opera. Our announcer. He's Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Twitter and Instagram. We're at Opera Box Score. Yes, Lucas, we're going to try harder. Help us deepen our bench of listeners by liking and sharing those social media posts. Email us your hot takes. Email us what you want to hear on the show, Opera Box Score, at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher. Favorite the show on Apple Podcasts. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. Thanks again to our guests, Arena and Lucas Meacham. For your absent co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you go apple-picking this autumn. Ooh. We're back with an all-new show next week. We go inside the huddle yet again. This time, director Rose Freeman, who's leading an opera double bill for Third Eye Theater Company right here in Chicago. Plus, you get more opera headlines. More hot takes and more embittered stagehands. Join us.